an odd twist. It actually weakens our faith because instead of being grateful for that grace, instead of being grateful for that mercy, we actually so demand and expect it that when it doesn't happen, then we're left kind of angry and confused, right? And that's one of the biggest problems that we have today in, uh, in Christianity is, is really it's that, that expectation, the expectation of I will be forgiven, I will be saved, I will be pardoned. And, and I don't know why everybody else is, especially my brother, my cousin, my sister, right? And why isn't God doing this? And why isn't he fixing that? And why, why is there tornadoes killing people? And, why, and all of a sudden you, you go down that slippery slope of, of really demanding uh, God's grace and mercy. And that's a, a dangerous place to be. Um, and so today we're going to learn more about that, that mercy. We're going to learn more about the expectation. And, and in the middle of the argument... God's going to say, who do you think you are? It's like, whoa, wait a minute. What happened to the lovey-dovey New Testament hippie Jesus, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's like a little kind of little throat throttle there. You know, hey, look me in the eyes. Who, who, who do you think you're dealing with? Um, you know, you think of a teenage... Boy and, and his daddy, right? And it's like, hey, um, I'm your daddy. Playtime's over, right? Well, in this amazing adoption process, which is a very difficult thing to grasp, um, we're again the picture is we're orphaned, right? We are or we're orphaned. We 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 have no father. We. Which means we we have no titles, we have no land, we have no uh, we have no estate, so so that we have no future. And you you have to think of the old feudal system days of, of you know Great Britain. And you, we'll we'll let you work the land, we'll we'll, we'll let you be there, but you're never going to own it. Uh, there's there's no you know saving up and someday you're going to own your little, your little piece of land. That, that's what made America so special as you could. Um, but no, you're, you're going to be without a state. You're going, to be, you're going to be born poor. You're going to live poor. You're going to die poor. Nothing's ever going to change. And then here comes God saying, no, I'm going to adopt you. And you're going to be uh, not just an heir, but a fellow heir with Christ. That means full privileges, full benefits. And, and that's just unbelievable and exciting and then you realize look and and I planned this a long time ago but before you even were I, I, I foreknew you and I I predestined I call and I and I set up this this plan and we've been reading about this amazing plan from the very beginning of the sacrificial altar system where there would be atonement there would be a scapegoat there would be a kinsman redeemer right all these different pictures of of how we're going to be saved long before we were born Long before we were born, there was a plan in place. And, and so we, we, we take this and we say, okay, so we have this awesome, amazing security, assurance. And, you know, uh, Paul ends with, so, so I'm convinced, I, I'm fully convinced nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he goes through a, a list, and this list could be 10 pages long. I mean, this is just a summary of 
all kinds of things that, that Paul, the height or depths or, or angels or demons or things present or things, that, I mean, all of it, all of it, nothing that you can think of is going to separate us from the love of God. And then in this twist, Paul says this, and this is again one of the amazing things in Scripture where we, we know we're reading from God's Word and yet the, the man who's penning it is, is also writing too, and so we get that combination. And so Paul says, um, says this, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. So if you ever wonder how the dynamic of... of Here's a person writing, and his personality is coming out in the writing, and yet it's of God. It's because it's, it's in the Holy Spirit that this is happening. Um, and so today we're going to see this, uh, this, this process. We're going to see uh, that God's in complete control. He's in complete control um, through a sorrow over souls, through sovereign justice, and through salvation to the Gentiles, and, and, and we see this through the pen of Paul in a, in a very personal way. So we see God's in complete control through a sorrow over souls. And Paul says, I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I solemnly swear. I, I swear on a stack of Bibles is what he's saying. I swear to truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My, my conscience is, is bearing witness in me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow, unceasing grief in my heart. Why? Why do you have great sorrow? Why do you have, I mean, and, and again, when was the last time you, you made that statement? I have great sorrow, unceasing grief. Um, it's not a common statement we make. And, and part of the reason why is, compacted within what this means is sorrow is this idea of, of a great distress for loss or, or affliction or disappointment. Or, well, certainly we, we, we've been sad or, or had grief over, over lost loved ones, so we understand sorrow. But the, this idea then of unceasing grief, again, we understand the grief, but sometimes we, we miss the, the word in front of it, unceasing. It doesn't end. It's just, it's, it's there. It's just, it's, it's that, that thorn that just never goes away. It's just, it just, it stings. It hurts continuously all day long. Every day he has this great sorrow, this unending, everlasting grief in his heart. Why? Verse three, I wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. There's a problem here. And Paul's saying, look, um, my, my brothers, my, my fellow Israelites, remember who Paul is. Paul is a, a Hebrew amongst Hebrews, right? He, he's, he's lived the... Uh, the ordinances, you know, circumcised on the eighth day. He was a, a Pharisee, a, a high-ranking Pharisee, a very devout Pharisee. Um, he loves his people Israel. But he sees that Israel is not following Jesus. Israel is not following the program. Remember, he had to make a conversion, right? So very, very clearly he understands you can't be not Jewish, 
You can't be Jewish or Israel. You have to be Christian. Okay, everything else is wrong. Well, everything else is wrong. And, and you, you have to make that transition. And, and it's breaking his heart because he's saying, look, if it be, and this is powerful language, if I myself were accursed, if you're ever really wondering, is there a heaven or a hell? I mean, yeah, there's a hell. And, and Paul here says, look, I would take on hell. I, I would take it on myself. I, I would damn myself. I would separate myself from Christ if I could for the sake of my brethren. Man, this guy's dedicated. And we know he is because in his previous life, he was the one out killing the Christians. This is no coward. This isn't a guy who just says stuff. You know, oh, if, you know, if, if they came, I'd be the first ones there, right? No, this is Paul where, yeah, he did it. He was the first one to charge the hill. Um, and so Paul's saying, look, I, I, would, even, I would even be willing to go to hell for, for Israel. Uh, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. His kinsmen, according to the flesh, is Israel. His new real kinsmen, according to the spirit, being adopted by Christ, are the believers. Verse 4 who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple services and the promises. He said, look, and again, this is what we've been saying. Israel, come on, you guys. These are the ones who were the first adopted as sons and, and, and received all the glory and understand the covenants and that they, they had the law. They're, um, the, the temple services, the promises, there's no excuses. They, they should be the ones who, who, who know better than anybody. Who, verse 5, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever. And so we see Paul kind of laying this out and, and then verse 6 comes and says, but, but before I get too carried away, it, it's not as though the word of God has failed. I don't want you guys to get the wrong idea, right? It's like, I've got a problem, and I'm really, really struggling here, and I'm really, really grieving here because most of Israel is not saved. But, but I, what I don't want you to think is this. I don't want you to think that it's God's problem. I don't want you to think it's, it's the word's problem because remember in, in chapter 1 when, when we said, for, all, for Scripture has the power unto salvation. Don't forget that. Scripture has the power unto salvation. Verse 6. But it's not as though the word of God has failed. God's word hasn't failed. So, so don't go down that path. Because right now we're, we're looking at it. We're saying, yeah, but God's people aren't following him. The numbers are, are, are going down, right? The number of supporters are, are going down. It's like, no, no, no. For they're not all Israel who are descended from Israel. So there, there's more. There's more of God's sons. There's more of God's people. It's not just my flesh kinsmen. Verse 7, Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. 
That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is a word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And so we see here now, and again, this, this is the way Paul is in Romans. He starts getting really carried away, right? So he starts off the chapter, and he's like, look, I'm, I just want to say something. I'm not lying, but uh, if I could, I, I, I would take on damnation for, for, uh, for my, my brother kinsman. But don't get carried away, because... You know, even though Israel's blowing it, there's way more. There, there's, there's, a, there's a whole revival thing happening uh, with people who are not children of Abraham, Israelites. There's a whole thing going on with the others, the Gentiles. And remember, contained within the covenant of Abraham, land, seed, and blessing was, in Genesis 12, all nations. All nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's us. Right? And so, Paul, says, Paul quickly kind of rotates and says, okay, let's, let's go back to Father Abraham. Let's do a little quick review here. And through Isaac, your descendants. And now remember, when he says this, and, and he's going to expand on this a little bit more. But Abraham's sons, his firstborn son was not Isaac. It was Ishmael. Right? And so hidden here between the lines is already God's sovereign will taking place and God's power taking place and God saying, I pick who my children are and I pick Isaac. I pick Isaac. He's going to be the child of promise. And, and it's not going to be Hagar who's going to have the children of promise. It's going to be Sarah. And, and right there we see then this gentle beginning of, of God saying, hey, I, I'm in control here. Okay, I run the program, right? Well, verse 10. Not only this, but there was Rebecca also. Let, let's, keep it, let's keep it Old Testament here, guys. Let's, let's keep it real. Um, and when she had conceived twins, one twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born, they had not, not yet done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to his choice, might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. This is a huge sentence here. The twins are not yet born. Who are the twins? Jacob and Esau. Who's born first? Esau. Had they done anything? No. Was Esau a jerk? No. Is Esau rebellious? No. Is Esau sinful? No. Well, he was, but that's not why this is going to happen. This is going to happen before he's even born. Why? In order that God's purpose, according to his choice, might stand. Not because of any works, not because of any actions. And that's key. We have to understand that. Now, the problem with that is in the back of a lot of people's minds, and maybe even some of yours, is, well, wait a minute. One plus one equals two. Carry the four, right? Um, God planned this? I don't think I like that. And we'll get back to that in a second. Because this, the second point here that we see of God being in complete control is he is sovereign through justice. 
And that doesn't necessarily sound very just to me. If you're going to judge a guy before he's even born, right? And so something doesn't seem right. I, it doesn't make sense. You read more. Verse 12. What was said to her, the older will serve the younger. The older is going to serve the younger. That means, again, God is going to take control. God is going to, to have the younger son be the ruler. And here come the questions. Well, then it says, uh, verse 13, just as is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Guy in the back row, whoa, wait a second. I got a question. Don't like that. Yeah, why? What shall we say then? He's a little more eloquent than Monica, sorry. <laughs> That'd be the, Monica, I would say, say what? Well, what shall we say? There is no justice with God. Man. Say, say that out loud. There's no justice with God. God is not just. God is not fair. God ain't right. Um, very quickly. And then the emphatic, is there? May it never be. May it never be. Wash your mouth out. Shake yourself. Now, here's the thing. Um, we're, we're, we're talking about two different things here. We really are, and this is what makes it hard. We're talking about the idea of fairness, justice, because what's fair is that we all go to hell. Anybody for fair in this room? I don't want fair. Okay. So we're talking really about predictability. Yes, God is not predictable. We, we, we have not figured him out, right? We haven't figured that out. That gives us the sense then, because of who we are, that he's not just bad thinking, bad logic. God's going to try to straighten us out here. Because God, just because God's in control, he is still sovereignly just. How? Well, for he says to Moses, listen, I'm going to have mercy on whom I have mercy. What's mercy? Not giving you the penalty you deserve. Not giving you the penalty you do deserve. You deserve a consequence for your disobedience. That consequence is death. Anything short of death, you should be thanking God, right? So when he has mercy, the problem is, and when he has compassion, we sit around, we look to the left and we look to the right, and we say, I don't like how much mercy and compassion he had with shame. It's too much. The guy's gone too far too many times, right? Now, we don't want to look at my life because, you know, we're past me. We're talking about shame. Um, and yet we love to play that game, right? We especially love it the longer we've been in the game, the longer we've been believers. It's amazing how awesome we are the longer we've been in church, isn't it? You know what? If you're, if you're not sure, just go ask a non-believer how how we portray ourselves as the perfect, as the awesome, as the we never do anything wrong. And then ask your friends in here. 
we're, we're, listen, we're, we are all live under the same umbrella of this mercy and compassion. Um, and then we cry out, there's no justice. God isn't just. It's not fair. Verse 16. So then, look, it doesn't depend on the man who wills or the woman, um, the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. That's a hard thing. Look. It doesn't depend on you. See, I don't like that. I don't like it depending on me. Because I think I'm in charge. I think I'm in control. But you're not. You're not in charge. You're not in control. And believe me, you don't want to be. You don't want to be. God's in complete control through his sovereign justice. How does it work? Well, here's another example from the Old Testament, because I know you've all read it, and I know you all know it, so we're going to use the Old Testament. For this Pharaoh, to Pharaoh he says, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Why did he raise up Pharaoh? To show his power. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You know what? He could have had mercy on, on Pharaoh. He didn't. Instead, he hardened, him even, he hardened him even harder. He doesn't owe Pharaoh, the sinner, the guy who thought himself to be another god, anything, does he? No. Oh, well, Pharaoh's easy. He hated Israel. He enslaved him. He thought he was God. I'm not like Pharaoh. I'm a good guy. Uh, anytime you put your place yourself in place of God, you're like Pharaoh. You think you're God. You just don't have a cool name or a title. Um, but it's the same, same game, same game we've been playing. Just in case you're not sure, let's, let's continue verse 19. So you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who... For who will resist his will? This is so eloquent. Definitely not Monica. Okay? So, are you listening to what's being said here? So you're going to say, well, why, does he, why does he still find fault? For, for who resists his will? God, you're, you're not right. You are hardening people's heart. You're not having mercy when you should have mercy. You're picking some people and not picking others. Um, you're loving others, you're not loving some. No, th this isn't right. Because, you know what, nobody can resist your will. It's not fair. It's not fair that you're doing it this way. I don't like your program. This doesn't work for me. And what is said in verse 20, on the contrary, who do you think you are? Who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? Did the thing molded say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? You're nothing but a lump of clay. That's it. Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump, pay attention, one vessel for honorable use and another not to be damned, not to be sinful, not to disobey, but for common use. See, whether you're... you're going to disobey and follow God. That, that's on you. That's not on him. He, you'll, you'll notice here 
very clearly. One's honorable use, yeah, the other one's common. Common can do some great things if it wants to. And so the potter says, look, I've, I've made two different vessels for two different purposes. Two different goals. Two different things. That's my, that's, that's my doing. Well, we see that God, again, is in complete control. First, that there, there is a sorrow over souls. You think Paul cares about souls? We'll, we'll talk about how God cares about souls. Uh, he's in complete control through sovereign justice. He is just. Not our guerrilla math justice, but his. And then salvation to the Gentiles. Verse 22. Okay. Different question. Different line of questioning. What if this? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, because remember, God is the, is the, is the potter, right? So, so he can make two, two lumps of clay, and, and he can say, look, I'm going to really make myself known this way. What if, just by chance, with much patience, with, with long-suffering vessels of wrath, he prepared for destruction? What if he took these vessels of destruction that he made, and he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy which he be prepared beforehand. Do you see what he just did there? Yeah. I made the common vessel. Yeah, I made all these vessels. And you know why I made them? I made them to show how awesome I am of mercy. Now it says here, what if? But that's what he did. That's exactly what he did. Um, what if I didn't ask you to sacrifice a lamb? What if I sacrificed my own son? What if that? Then would you, then would you say I was a good God? A kind God, a just God. And I did this beforehand. Before you even started complaining, when I was making the different vessels, at the end of the day, all the vessels were going to have that same opportunity to receive the riches of glory. All of them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Even you no good crummy Gentiles. That's right. And again, just so you know, we're not just winging it here. We talked about this a long, long time ago. Let's go back to our Old Testament primers, verse 25, as he also says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And her who was not my beloved, beloved. The intimacy, the marriage, the bride of Christ. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Not just my people, sons, adopted sons, heirs, 
Verse 27, And Israel cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, even though Israel is so large now, and so big now, it's only the remnant. It's only the remnant. It's only the small number that's going to be saved. So there isn't this injustice, this imbalance, this unfair program of, well, yeah, God has his favorites, right? God, God picks his favorites. Everybody else is doomed. No, it actually is quite the opposite, isn't it? Quite the opposite. Verse 28, for the Lord will execute his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, except the Lord... Israel, do you really think you have it? Am I really doing you wrong? I, I should have treated you like Sodom and Gomorrah. Except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us to a prosperity, we would have become as Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. Verse 30, what shall we say then? This is Paul again, the Jew. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, the Gentiles who didn't even pursue righteousness attained it, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, Israel, we're trying to follow the law. We're trying to pursue a law of righteousness. Did not arrive at that law. law. Why? How can this be? Because they did not pursue it by faith. And Christian, we've gone down that same slippery slope where we start to take the law and we start to become like Israel and think we're special and that we're unique and that, you know, we're, we're the chosen ones. No, this is, this is a religion of faith, not a religion of works. This is a religion of belief, not a, a religion of ceremonies. And we're going we're gonna to celebrate an, an ordinance today, but this does not save you. This doesn't save you. It's, it's, just, it's just symbolic that we do in memory of what the Lord did for us. And if we get caught up in the things like coming to church means I'm saved. Taking communion means I'm saved. Being baptized means I'm saved. That, then you're on the wrong program. You're on the same program of the law that Israel got themselves confused with. And they did all kinds of cool stuff. Way more stuff than we did. They had all kinds of Sabbaths and festivals. And, you know, and, and we, you can see that today. You know, you go down to certain districts and, you know, you'll see them walking to, 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 to synagogue. That's that same concept of, of the, the works righteousness and living by the law. And it's no, you're not pursuing the right thing. Pursue by faith. But as though it were work by works, they stumbled over the stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And so God has this, this amazing program. And remember, we started the chapter. This is what, you know, Paul. Paul just, you want to talk about rabbit trails? Paul started with, hey, I, I would... I would be accursed if I could. And we go full circle to, and he's talking about his brothers, his kinsmen, Israel, and we end with Gentiles. How did that happen? How did we get there? 
Remember, he started with his desire to be damned to save Israel, but he can't. He can't. And he knows the reality of their hard hearts. And that's why he's in such great sorrow. But here's the thing. And, and, and again, Paul, Paul is noble. Paul is noble. And Paul means what he says. But it's God who has the real power. And it's God who has the real plan to not just save Israel, but to save everybody. Israel and the Gentile. And it's God who is in complete control of this amazing program that by faith will not disappoint. Will not disappoint. So then our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness and so as we close and prepare for, for communion, let me close us in prayer. Lord, you are not predictable, but you are just. And Lord, you are the potter and we are the clay. And forgive us. Forgive us when we cross the line of our genuine questions, our fears, our concerns,